Good morning, everyone. Sections 18 and 19 is our study for today, and the people involved are David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and Martin Harris. We've already talked about them, but one interesting thing that I haven't mentioned is we are related to David Whitmer. He's my 10th cousin, four times removed, through my mother's line. How cool is that? Another interesting fact, as I went on family search and started looking at him on our family tree, I found out some, something that I didn't know before. He died June 14th of 1895, and I always thought he died just because he was an old guy. I think he was in his 80s. But he died from the effects of a cave-in on the riverbank two miles south of his home in Richland, Richmond. Those are just some fun facts. So let's get into the history a bit behind these two sections. Section 18, Joseph Smith dictated this revelation in Fayetteville, New York, within the first days of June of 1829. And you will notice that the first part is directed to Oliver Cowdery. But the rest is to Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer together. You will notice as you study this section that it's time to identify the 12 disciples or what we call today the Quorum of the 12 Apostles. It's interesting to see the unfolding of the restoration as the structure of the original church that Christ established begins to take shape. So preparations to build up the church had been underway since at least June of 1829. And at this point, the Book of Mormon translation was almost completed and the manuscript was used as policy as the new church began to be outlined. They looked at things like the structure or the sacrament prayers, those kinds of things that came out of the manuscript of the Book of Mormon. Section 19, this revelation is directed to Martin Harris. It clarifies doctrines regarding the nature of God, Christ's atonement, repentance, and the afterlife. You'll also notice that Martin Harris is counseled on a variety of things. So we read from some historical records of the church. Bolstered by this miraculous and faith-affirming experience, Martin recommitted to provide financial support for the Book of Mormon publication. Let me just add in here. Keep in mind, Joseph and Oliver, these guys are young. They're in their early 20s. Martin's in his mid-50s. So these young guys don't have a dime to their name, and Martin is very well established. So going on, Joseph Smith had talked to several printers in Palmyra and Rochester, New York. He hoped to convince Edgar B. Grandin of Palmyra to print the book, and Martin took up negotiations. Grandin's price was $3,000 for the unusually large printing of 5,000 copies, but he would not buy the type or begin the job until Joseph or Martin had promised to ensure payment for the printing. Okay, so let me just add another little comment right there. 
there had already been a lot of um, talk in Palmyra about this book coming out and everybody was, don't buy it, don't buy it, and don't have anything to do with it. And so even though most printers took on a lot of the risk of a printing job, um, Grandin was not willing to do that. So he wasn't going to buy type or begin the job or do anything until he had some kind of collateral saying that, you know, he wouldn't lose money on this. So back to the history, Martin would have to impart essentially all of the property to which he had a legal right. Now he, here's another aside, he had a really large, beautiful farm, some of the most prime farmland in the community. And, you know, as I said, he was in his mid to late 50s, so he was very well established. Back to the history. So this moment of decision would sound the depth of Martin Harris's trust in Joseph Smith and his faith in the Book of Mormon. So think about that for just a second. You are, at that point in time, really almost to the end of your life. Um, Lifespans were shorter back then. And all of your old age security and your standing in the community, your reputation, all of that um, up for grabs. Uh, people were already talking about the, the Book of Mormon is something you wanted to avoid. And so Martin would lose his respect among his neighbors, friends, community people. And he would risk, if the Book of Mormon didn't sell so he could get his money back, he would risk losing his farm to pay the printer. Uh, and that, that's a huge decision and a huge sacrifice. And he, you know, therefore went to Joseph and said, I need another revelation. I, I want the Lord to tell me that this is the absolutely right thing to do. And we, and we get this section from that. Um, so moving on in the history, seeking guidance, he spoke with Joseph, who received yet another revelation, known as Doctrine and Covenants 19. The revelation admonished Martin, thou shalt not covet thine own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon. On August 25th of 1829, he mortgaged his property to Grandin as payment for the publication. His neighbors were amazed that their sensible friend would abandon the cultivation of one of the best farms in the neighborhood to underwrite the publication. Now, initially, Martin hoped to redeem his mortgaged farm by selling copies of the Book of Mormon. In January, Joseph Smith signed an agreement with Martin, giving him equal privilege to sell copies of the Book of Mormon until he had fully recouped the cost of the printing. He began selling the book as soon as it was available in March of 1830, but unfortunately, sales did not go as well as he'd hoped. Joseph Smith reportedly spotted a distraught Martin Harris late in March of 1830 near Palmyra, and according to Joseph Knight, Martin was carrying several copies of the Book of Mormon. He said, the books will not sell for nobody wants them, and told Joseph, I want a commandment. 
So he wanted more revelation. Joseph's reply referred Martin to the previous revelation. Fulfill what you have got. But I must have a commandment, repeated Martin. He received no further commandment. However, in compliance with the earlier revelation, Martin eventually sold enough of his property to pay the debt. And by so doing, he secured his place as the most significant financial supporter of the Book of Mormon and thus the early church. Think about it. None among Joseph Smith's younger and poorer friends could have provided this critical contribution. You know, when I think of Martin Harris, his journey in the church was full of ups and downs and peaks and valleys. I'm sure he looked back at losing the manuscript as one of the deepest valleys of his life. But without Martin, it would have been so difficult to move the work forward. You remember at the end of his life, he asked Brigham Young to send money, enough for a round trip, so he could come to Salt Lake. He was amazed at all that had come of everything and of everything that had happened, starting with a young boy's prayer in the woods behind his home. He could have easily looked at what had happened also as a result of his sacrifice of his farm to see to it that the Book of Mormon was published. He returned to full fellowship and membership in the church. So nice to see a happy ending. So, you know, as we open our own Book of Mormon and read those sacred words, maybe we could just pause for a moment and remember the great sacrifice made by Martin Harris. Challenge question, thinking about Martin Harris's life, what's one thing that we can learn from his story. Have a great week, everybody, and remember to always follow the Savior's admonition to come follow me.